Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, David A. Simon, visiting assistant professor of law at the University of Kansas School of Law and project researcher at the Honkin School of Economics. In this installment of the podcast, which we have called Ex Cathedra, we will be taking a step back from specific law review articles to talk to senior scholars about scholarship more generally. We're interested mostly in how senior scholars develop their own research agenda, who influenced them and why. We'd also like to know what junior scholars influence them now and for what reasons. To discuss the topic today, my guest is Oren Kerr, professor of law at the University of California, Berkeley, which I think is called Bolt Hall, but Professor Kerr can correct me. Formerly Bolt Hall. Formerly Bolt Hall. Okay. Professor Kerr specializes in criminal procedure and computer crime law, and he has taught courses in criminal law, evidence, and professional responsibility. He has written more than 60 law review articles, so he's going to be a good person to talk to about what makes a good law review article, over 40 of which have been cited in judicial opinions, including seven articles that have been cited in the U.S. Supreme Court opinions, and his scholarship has been cited by more than 3,000 academic articles. Professor Kerr, welcome to the show. Oh, really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The first thing we'd like to ask you about, maybe you could say something about how you developed your um, your initial interests in computer crime law and how you went about drawing inspiration from practice or from other academics to develop your ideas. Sure. So my experience was a little bit unusual. I graduated from law school in 1997, uh, clerked for a third circuit judge for a year, and then was in the honors program at the Justice Department, uh, hired into the computer crime section. So this was sort of very early internet boom age. Uh, And I was the 17th lawyer hired into the computer crime section. And uh, there were all sorts of really big questions that we were grappling with about how the law should evolve and how should we be thinking about the law, we being at the time the Justice Department, uh, and more broadly, how should the courts be thinking about it? And I was tasked very early on with writing what amounted to a treatise on the law of computer crime investigations, which a, a topic I knew nothing about when I started. So I spent a lot of time thinking about like, how how are these laws going to evolve? And what, what are the big technological developments that are going to change the law? And how should the law respond to those technological developments? Uh, and that ended up being hugely helpful for me. I ended up basically thinking so much about that set of issues that it became my research agenda when I decided to teach, uh, to go on the teaching market. So I was at the Justice Department for three years. And so I was practicing for two years. And then the third year, I was on the market while also practicing. And I originally planned to go on the teaching market doing patent law and administrative law. Uh, And as I was thinking through kind of what the issues I was interested in, I ended up sort of more or less dropping that in favor of the computer crime criminal procedure issues because they just seemed so interesting and so few people had worked in this area. It was really kind of a blank slate. So I, I jumped into that and and kind of made that my area, mostly because I'd had early exposure to it. It seemed interesting and other people were not writing about it. Since other people weren't writing in this area and you were striking out on your own, in some sense, you had a chance to shape the field in a way that a lot of people today don't. So when you were thinking about how you were going to do that, you probably had a picture of what makes a good scholarly article, what makes a good researcher. And I was wondering if you could talk about your conceptions of that when you started, and then maybe some 
retrospective now looking back if you thought you were correct? Yeah. So when I started, I'm not sure I had a great sense of what was a good article. I, I had a sense of what seemed to be the really big, hard questions that people were disagreeing about that seemed like they would matter. Uh, so a lot of my articles, especially when I started, were about big picture disputes and the doctrinal kind of uncertainties about them and where the law should go that I, I knew were going to be questions that the courts were going to have to grapple with. Maybe there were a few district court opinions at the time. And I could just imagine, you know, in 20 years, this will be a Supreme Court decision. What should the Supreme Court do? So it was sort of big questions of law. How should the Fourth Amendment apply to email? How should uh, the electronic surveillance statutes work? What should the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act mean? That That you could sort of see the beginnings of these uncertainties. And so a lot of what I was trying to do is predict, okay, what are going to be the big questions in 10 or 20 years and stake out that claim, stake out that issue, explain what the choices were and and offer a normative view of what I thought kind of ultimately the courts or in some cases legislatures should do. Um, so that was the idea when I was writing them, a sort of, sort of like almost covering land, you know, sort of like discovering certain legal territory and describing the legal territory and then offering a take on it. Um, in retrospect, I think you know, to the extent what I did, the parts of it that worked were was the novelty of what I was doing um, in that I was able to find new issues that had not been written about. And I think that can be helpful because just the the description of what the problem is becomes helpful to people, no matter what your normative take is, just the description like, hey, here's this new problem that's coming around the corner and it's going to be really important. And here's, here are the choices, here are the different ways courts might approach it. And here's, you know, the, here's where the precedents are and here's where the law might go. That in itself, I think becomes valuable. Um, and I think the weaker parts of what I was doing was at least initially, I don't think I had a really sort of strong normative theory that I was working from. It was more like, here's this cool set of issues. I would kind of write the descriptive part and then the normative part would kind of be like, oh yeah, I guess I need to come up with my own answer to this. Um, right. And so I didn't actually develop the kind of broader theoretical framework um, until 10 or 15 years later, in part looking back on my old things and saying, what am I doing with this? Um, and in part responding to what I perceived as kind of weaknesses in my work or criticisms of my work uh, as as being too much focused on descriptive and not enough having the sort of strong normative take that I, I said, all right, I need to I need to go back and, and really work on the normative side of things. So I think the stronger part was staking out the new claim and the weaker part initially, at least I hope, um, was less theoretical heft than than I would have wanted there to be. Yeah. So it sounds like in some sense there was a tension between finding new issues and offering some kind of normative analysis. And that, I think, is a tension that arises for a lot of people. You know, how much time, what kinds of projects are worthwhile? Uh, are the projects that are really down in the doctrinal weeds good projects to pursue? Uh, or are these broader, you know, bigger questions like the ones you were dealing with worthwhile? Is there some mix that you think might work? Yeah, I think it depends. It depends on the issue. But the the broad goal is to say something new. 
um, just say something that hasn't been said before or teach the reader something, some new problem that they have not thought about before, um, some theory they have not thought about before. Just, just so much of what we as legal scholars are doing is, I think, sort of adding some knowledge, adding some argument, saying something new. And and um, not to get too far ahead of the conversation, but I think a, a, a problem that a lot of scholars, especially junior scholars, run into is sometimes you kind of have the need to write the article and you may not have the new, <laughs> the new idea quite yet. And it's like, well, what do you do? You know, you're looking at the calendar and you say, OK, I've got to send out my article on, you know, February 20th. I've got three months to come up with something novel. And 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 it's 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 coming up with the idea and and the novel contribution, which is the challenge, uh, and it can be hard, absolutely for, for all of us, and I, I, me included. There's times when I'm thinking this article is not working, and there are definitely articles that I've written three quarters of that I just shelved because I thought this this didn't work. I wasn't really saying anything new or interesting enough to kind of justify publishing it. Oh, that's brave <laughs> to put something on the shelf you've worked on for several months, but. Is that something that um, you've done a number of times where you've written maybe a, a third or two thirds of an article and you're going through it and you just can't convince yourself and you felt better served by moving on to something else? Yeah, I think I've done this like three or four times. Um, and then so- sometimes the idea ends up kind of germinating and years later you have the i the seed from that earlier article that didn't work ends up actually being shuffled around and put into something that does work or at least you hope works better um so so i think of it as it's not totally wasted time but but absolutely there's sometimes you just have an article where you start off you're really excited and you think this is going to go great and then you just kind of go oh you know i thought this was this is actually not (laughs) working at all um and 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 you just I, my own view is certainly with the luxury of having tenure it's easier to just put it aside right you don't you don't feel like i need to put out this article but but it's a painful thing to do but i think necessary cuz you're just going to have a certain number of failures you know, a certain failure rate when you're trying to come up with new ideas and some will work and some won't work and i think it it just can be helpful to give yourself that that room to have some failures cuz it'll happen to anyone it sounds sort of like the five stages of grief, but, <laughs> but, um, so is there, do you think there's a good way for junior people to, um, hash out their ideas in a collaborative way without risking <laughs> looking like you have a bad idea for just lack of a better way of saying it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one, one approach that I've, I've, seen some people try that I think can work is instead of just saying, all right, I need one big idea. What's my one big idea and working on one article, really try to have four or five different articles that you think are possible things and sketch them out, you know, like a two page, three page, four page, five page version, and then talk to people about them and see which one of them seem the most promising. Uh, Because it, it may be something that happens a lot is when you're, when you're starting off, I think is, you you've come across an idea and you think oh this is going to be great and then it turns out it's actually pretty similar to what some other people have said and you don't want to waste right. the time you know invested in developing this argument that it turns out is actually not as novel as you thought and so getting that early feedback on on a sort of 
five page draft or five page sketch of an article can be helpful. And then it may be one that, you know, one turns into a real promising idea and then you're, you're off and running with that, but you haven't invested that much time at the beginning. Are there ways that people who are either unaffiliated with an academic institution or thinking about writing their first article, are there ways that they could reach out to faculty to, to do this in a, in a tasteful and appropriate way? Yes. So, um, I mean, imagine you're, you've graduated from law school and you're thinking someday you want to become a law professor and you you want your like one or two like pre-VAP articles and you don't really know anyone. Um, it, let's say you're writing in an area where there are three or four major scholars who are um, in that area. Yeah, you'll probably have pretty good luck if you send an email to one or two of them or maybe even all of them. Uh, individually, of course, saying, dear professor, I'm really interested in this. I've been writing this draft. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this issue or I'm curious about feedback. You know, I know you're super busy, but would it would would you have any ability to just very quickly offer um, some feedback? Uh, and usually you don't want to attach the draft because that's kind of considered a little bit presumptuous if you don't know them. Uh, but then they'll say, sure, send me the draft. I'm not sure I'll have time, but I'll try. And then you hope that they'll take a look at it and offer some feedback. And um, usually my sense is that, um, you know, it's it's relatively uncommon to get somebody to do the full, like, I spent 10 hours reading this and offering a full set of comments. Sometimes that'll happen. But you you don't really need that if you're just starting off. You need that kind of 10 minute, 20 minute, here's my rough sense feedback. Cause coming from somebody senior, that'll just help you so much. Um, Cause that you're sort of tapping into their whole knowledge base by doing that. And um, so, so that might work. You might, you might um, uh, uh, get, get some feedback that way. Uh, and, you know, I, I think anyone from law school, you know, a law, former law school professor who might be a, a mentor or someone you took some classes from, you, you never quite know who might be willing to help out. Um, I know in my case, I've, I've offered on Twitter and I'll offer it again on this podcast. You know, anybody interested in the kind of areas that I'm in, Fourth Amendment law or computer crime law, who wants to bat around draft ideas, um, I'd be happy to offer feedback on, on ideas um, just as like a preliminary kind of maybe something has been written about, maybe something hasn't, maybe it's promising, maybe it's not. And I'll just offer feedback to kind of help guide people because I, I realize that it's that starting out part that's the hardest. Um, you know, once once people have a network of of mentors, or once they are connected into a VAP program or something like that, there's sort of there's a a group of people to rely on. But it's the the scariest part is what do you do when it's just you? Uh, and so you know, tr- try a couple ideas and write them up and see how it goes and seek feedback and and you never quite know what you'll find. Yeah, I think you might be eating your words after you get like 300 emails. I'm, I'm happy to, <laughs> you know, I've, I've posted this on uh, Twitter a couple of times um, and I've, I've received very few <laughs> responses to be totally honest. So, so I, I want more responses than I'm getting. So, so please. Okay. Well, hopefully you'll get a few more after today. Uh, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about the, the qualities that certain articles have that you find attractive. So what, if anything, do you look for when you're reading scholarship, when you see uh, someone's name you don't know and you start reading, what makes it 
intriguing and then what sustains your interest as you move forward? I think, um, I think novelty is the single biggest thing that you look for. I mean, some, something new because there's so much scholarship out there, right? There's so many articles and, and, you know, the rule of anything, whether it's books or magazines or anything, the most stuff is sort of repetitive of other stuff. And what stands out is something that's different. That's either, you know, a new approach or a new insight and something that you look at and you go, aha, you know, here was this big question people have been wondering out, wondering about, and this person came up with an answer or a new answer, or an empirical study that provides some answers or a new you know, framework of thinking about it or something that's just fresh and different. It makes you go, oh, wow, that's that's something new. And I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to think about that. And I have to kind of ponder how this fits into my worldview. And and it's it's the novelty, I think, which is uh, the hardest part. Uh, and, and in part, I think what's challenging is a lot the way a lot of people, especially at the beginning, come up with article ideas is, let's say they care a lot about a certain body of law, you know, they went to law school and they took, you know, I don't know, let's say it's criminal law. They took criminal law and they were really passionate about a certain doctor, you know, they're passionate about the death penalty or something. So they want to write about the death penalty because they're passionate about it. And then they say, well, what can I say about the death penalty? And then they, they sort of follow the, I really care about ending the death penalty. I'll write a piece about ending the death penalty. And they, they which is, it's great to follow your passions, but you also have to think about, what's new and what hasn't been said. And so too often it's, I think people sort of end up writing articles that restate other articles. And, and there's, a, there's kind of a common problem of especially junior articles that are kind of saying what people have been saying, but restate it and have all these grand <laughs> claims of novelty. Um, and, and you don't want to fall into the trap of, of going over ground that other people have gone over and kind of coming out in the same place because you're not going to stand out and it's not going to sort of be a big addition um, uh, if, if you do that. No, I should say I don't want to. I don't want to deter anyone from following their passions and you know going to death penalty scholarship is incredibly interesting and all this stuff is is really interesting. But but novelty I think has to be um, the goal. What are you saying that's different from what people have said before? So what's a good way to combat that other than just doing um just canvassing the literature one of the things that that i think can be valuable is when you have a question and you go read the literature instead of immediately starting to write kind of taking a step back and thinking about how your work fits in um is there a method that you have for doing that or something different that that helps you figure out sorting the wheat from the chaff sort of thing yeah, so there are a couple a couple different directions that that I think that question might go, but um um w- one is, you know, if you're focused on either finding areas that you disagree with people about. So let's say there's a you know, an area of, of law where and you, there's this doctrine that everybody likes and you think it's bad or this is doctrine everybody hates, and you think it's good. You know, you can sort of go against the grain there by disagreeing with a lot of people and there's your novelty part, right? You're the I, I did this in one area, you know, I wrote an article defending the third party doctrine and there were like hundreds of articles against the third party doctrine. And it was really fun to write the article defending the third party doctrine, not only because I was right, uh, but because of course, uh, but because it's like, well, here's hundreds of people against me. And you know, you're like, you, you're, you're making new claims because no one else has kind of gone in this, 
in this direction. Um, so responding to new cases or new technological developments or disagreeing with where the body of scholarship is, you know, I think that's, that's where you can say, all right, I know I'm on novel, uh, I'm on sort of novel ground because I'm, I, no one has covered this kind of argument before. Yeah. There's two uh, pieces to your answer I wanted to pick up on. The first is just about disagreeing with, with other people. Um, for someone who's got tenure, it's probably an easier, um, it's probably a little bit easier to disagree with people on certain issues than if you don't have tenure or aren't a professor. And is there, is there a way you think um, you can have, you know, professional disagreements in law review articles without alienating yourself? entirely from the community? Yeah. So in my experience, senior professors actually really like responses telling them that they're all wrong, um, as long as they're respectful and not mean. I hope you're right about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the worst thing is if you write something and no one ever mentions it, right? You, you, you want, it's, it's, it's like you want to be in the conversation and the way you create a debate is for somebody to disagree with what you wrote. And then, um, and if it's a good response, that's awesome. Uh, I think actually uh, sort of disagreeing with uh, senior people can be a great way of, of kind of entering the scholarly conversation. Um, if you've got a point that the senior people say, hey, that's actually a pretty good point. That's a good counter argument. Um, I'm not persuaded, probably the senior person that says, but hey, that's a pretty good that's a pretty thoughtful idea. You know, I wish I'd heard of that before I wrote my article. And then you've not only entered a conversation that's important, you've impressed someone who is going to probably be asked to do a symposium piece that they don't have time for. And they'll say, well, I don't have time for this, but there is this junior person who's really good. I think they're totally wrong, but they're good and you should ask them and they might actually help you kind of um, get your foot in the door elsewhere. So, so I, I would feel free to disagree with people. I mean, you, you want to, first of all, always make the best argument in favor of the other person's view that you can. You want to always sort of make sure you're presenting someone else's argument in a sympathetic uh, way. Uh, and then respectfully disagreeing is, is great. I mean, that's, that's how progress is made through disagreement and, and, and debate. Yeah. I think that last point is important to emphasize to not to set up to, to try to be as faithful as you can to the person's argument you're disagreeing with, because especially if you're mentioning them, they're probably going to read it and they're going to want to make sure that what you said matches what they said, or at least in large part matches that. So I think that's great advice. And the second piece, and, of, can, go ahead, can I, inter I, I totally apologize. I'm going to interrupt you a second. One, one related piece of advice is if you're going to write a response to someone else, send them a draft of what you've written and, and seek comment. Cause not only do you then make sure that you've represented them correctly and been, been um, you've done a good job stating their argument, but you also might get terrific feedback uh, before your article is out. You don't want to wait. And then, then the person sees it and they might be like, Oh, you didn't really get my idea. So, so send them a draft early on. I think that's always a good idea. So sorry about that. No, I think that's good advice. Wish I had followed that once or twice. <laughs> um. The second part of the your answer that I wanted to pick up on had to do with how you come up with ideas, and 
One of the things that you have in common with uh, with Mark Lemley is that I think you also practice law, or at least you took the bar exam in California and you're planning on doing something. And I wonder if you could say something about what you're planning to do, how much practice, how much, uh, how active you stay in, in the practice of law and whether that activity informs scholarship. And, and then finally, if you think that that is a tool that people could use in generating ideas. You know, I, I listened to your interview of Mark Lemley, which was terrific. And, and I've always been fascinated by how Lemley is able to do as much as he can do. Because yeah. uh, he's he's not just practicing. He's a partner at a firm. He's arguing cases like all the time before the federal circuit and, and the like. So I don't know how he does that. Um, my, my practice is is very limited. I mean, I'll do like one pro bono case a year, like one appeal or something like that. Usually in my area. Um, so it's, you know, five hours a week or two hours, a week. some, some, some really, really small, um, you know, and there were months where I'm not doing any of the practice stuff, but, um, I find it really helpful. Um, I find practice experience helpful in the criminal law area in particular, criminal procedure area, uh, be, for two reasons. One is you, just having a sense of what the facts really are in these cases, I think is really helpful. Um, and delving into a case and and talking to people about what's happening in these cases, just to get a, a, a sense of the current reality is just like really, really useful. Uh, and then also just remembering how judges think about the world to the extent you're writing on public law. Um, you, it, it, it can be easy. And, and I should say, this is this is really about a specific area of academia, which is engaged with what courts are doing, which is kind of the corner that I'm, I'm in and some group of scholars are and others are not. And so this is a very partial piece of, of advice. But um, for those that are writing about what courts do and thinking about what courts do, I think some involvement in litigation can be hugely helpful just to remember who judges are and how they think about the world, because otherwise it can get kind of abstract. Um, it just It can just be it just makes it more real and more likely to have impact if it's connected to the world. And, and the the flip side of that is I think there are dangers of practicing that you, you know, at least what I found is when I litigate a case and have to take some view in litigation, um, once I'm bought into that, I find it incredibly hard to write scholarship about it because I've already in my mind sort of have an advocate's mentality about that question. Mm -hmm. So, so I find it, doable to go from scholarly writing about a topic, which is, you know, you're looking for the best answer and you're thinking sort of globally about this problem. And then I can do litigation where I'm taking a position in it, but I can't go the other way around, or at least I, I don't think I do well when I try to go the other way. Uh, I wonder if we could wrap up with a question that maybe not everybody will ask when they're a junior person, but my previous interview with uh, June Carbone she mentioned something about finding your research area at the beginning of her career. She said, I was writing articles in one area, criminal law, and then I was writing in property and I was writing in evidence and that was difficult. Um, So I wonder if you could say something about uh, developing a research profile and for someone who maybe has written an article or two or three or five in one area and is thinking about branching into another area, what might be a good way to make that transition? 
Yeah. Um, so I think you should let yourself have many interests and see what ends up being the most productive. Um, I, I, it's, what's tricky in answering this question is it kind of depends on what stage you're at. Um, so, so if you're a VAP, there might be a different answer than if you're an assistant professor and that might be a different answer than if you're just recently tenured, um, in terms of like, when is the right time to just jump into something new? Um, but the way, at least I think about it is when you're just starting out and you're trying lots of different areas, you know, feel free to try different ideas and, and, and not try to only write on one topic. And then there's kind of a window of time when you want to kind of write on one topic, like pre-tenure and then you're tenured, and then you can kind of go back to doing whatever you wanted. But, um, you know, I, I think the way to do it is just to try, um, you've, you, you see what's of interest to you and you say, Hey, there's this really cool issue that I'm interested in and let me read up on it and let me try my hand at writing an article on it. And sometimes it writes, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, you know, I think you, you get into an area by virtue of interest or experience, um, or you just decide that's kind of something significant and you want to poke around and see what's, what's out there. And, and I think you just devote the time and, and see if anything comes of it. Uh, and I, I should add that I've, I've had times when I, you know, I've tried different areas. There was, I taught professional responsibility, um, as you'd mentioned uh, at the beginning. Uh, and I've tried my, you know, a couple of professional responsibility articles. And I have one of these kind of half drafts <laughs> relating mm -hmm. to it. I don't know if I'll ever publish it. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Um, I haven't taught the class since then. So, so maybe it's just something that I'll, I dabbled in and I'll go back to what I normally do instead. But, but I think you just, if you have the time and the interest, you try it out and you see if it writes. And and sometimes you hit on something where you go, this is great. And sometimes you say, well, this did this was a fun experiment, but it's probably not something I'm going to stick with. And then you go back to what you were doing. You kind of you have to give yourself room to fail because the nature of legal scholarship is you'll try a lot of things. Some will work and some won't. Right. There's actually one question I I wanted to to broach with you that I haven't asked anybody else yet, but I will in future interviews. And that is, how do you, how do you think younger scholars should go about developing a teaching profile, a teaching personality and improving their teaching? And when you say a teaching personality, you mean like in class persona or yeah. like, yeah, this is hard. Um, some of it is going to be trial and error probably. Uh, you know, you try, you try different styles and some sort of work. I think most professors just have, this is, this is like, you know, the, the advice you get from your parents in fifth grade, when you're going into fifth grade, be yourself. The other kids will like you. I mean, you kind of have to ultimately be yourself. Um, when I was, before I started teaching at GW, I remember I sat in on a class taught by Paul Butler, um, a criminal law professor, then at GW, now at Georgetown. And I thought, oh, let me learn how to teach at GW. And his style was this very Socratic, very imposing style. And I looked at that and I said, there's no way I can pull that off. That is so not me. Uh, and I think you have to ultimately find a style that's who you are and the way you think about things. And um, if you're true to that and you're thinking about how students are learning uh, and you requesting feedback, I think is incredibly helpful, especially at the beginning, like mid-semester feedback, ask students what's working, what's not working, and 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 course correct based on that. Um, you know, it's a little bit like teaching in that you try maybe try different styles and you see what works, and you 
you know, give yourself opportunities to try it out and you'll have to improve and make adjustments. And it's just the nature of, of learning any practice and also true with teaching. I think it's, it's, a, it's actually a really right. hard question to ask. I'll have to think, I'll have to think more about that. One. It's also like other advice your parents gave you in fifth grade practice, 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 practice makes perfect. <laughs> also right? true. Also yeah. true. All right, Oren, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really had a good time talking with you and we hope to speak to you again soon. Sounds great. Big fan of the podcast. Okay, thanks. You always try to swing with a policeman and never ring a ding a policeman. And if you're really hip, you'll never make a slip against the majesties, the policeman. Thank <laughs> you.